Millennials and Gen Z are starting to inherit in what will end up as the greatest transfer of wealth ever. Stephen Ramirez from Beyond the Arc is our guest to discuss the scale of this transfer and how banking institutions can position themselves to attract some of those assets. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. With the leading edge of the baby boom generation deep into their 70s, we are in the early years of a transfer of wealth on a scale never seen before. Joining us this week is Stephen Ramirez, CEO of Beyond the Arc, and we'll talk about what's at stake big numbers-wise and what banking institutions can do to improve their chances of getting a share of this money on the move. Stephen, welcome to the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. Harry, thank you. I'm very glad to be here this morning. So, Stephen, we hear plenty about the massive wealth transfer that's probably started already as boomers are passing down their money to their heirs. Start us out, if you can, with kind of a basic lay of the land here, including how much money are we actually talking about? I would think about this more as like a a long wave as opposed to sort of a one and done situation. And as we go, it just becomes sort of more and more important. So just a couple of years ago, we were looking at a overall sort of across the economy wealth transfer of about a staggering $30 trillion. But you know, the stock market has been up the last couple of years. So that has now ballooned to probably uh, $68 trillion or more. And so that makes it the single biggest wealth transfer ever. This is not just a, a situation that we always see. There really is something very tremendous happening here in terms of this transition. And I think that the other dynamic to this is that the inheritees, the beneficiaries, both Gen X and millennials are also really different. So we're seeing a huge change and we're seeing very significant differences in both demographics and outlook. We will dig into that demographic part and also explore this $68 trillion, which quick math in my head is more than three times U.S. GDP annually. So we're talking about a boatload of money. But now that we have a sense of this opportunity, again, keeping the discussion at a high level for now, how do banking institutions tap into the opportunity? I think that the way that many banks and credit unions have been operating, the basic business model has not changed significantly over the last five decades. And I think that we now are at an inflection point where there has to be a change. And I think that they tap into this opportunity by, first of all, a shift in their thinking where customer experience strategy is first. To build on that, there really is a technology enablement in the form of fintech solutions that are required to drive personalization at scale. And then finally, I think to shift away from thinking about individual products, or even bundles, (laughs) to really creating solutions for customers. So these are things that are required in the way they do business if they want to capitalize on this 
wealth management opportunity. You talk about this being a long-term problem. One thing that is different here, at least in the past dozen years or so, is that interest rates are higher. The Fed has been on a, a tightening cycle and rates are higher now than they have been probably the Great Recession in you know, early 2008. So with rates higher, Stephen, it does make a number of banking products like CDs and even savings accounts an easier sell. But is this just about products and sales? I think it is not about products and sales. And I, I think that that is actually one of the limitations that is holding banks back. I think that bank products in that low rate environment, bank products were, from a savings perspective, largely irrelevant. And banks really became kind of a conduit for transaction. It was just a way to be able to move money. So moving money and payments sort of ruled the day. But now there's really this shift, and there really is an opportunity for banks to have a deeper engagement with customers about their financial future and to be able to talk to them about their financial health. This is the critical nature of this opportunity, is that now there's a chance for banks truly to be part of that conversation. As if that wasn't enough, I think that there's also, Terry, a really important pivot here from a bank's P&L perspective, which is the opportunity to drive additional fee-related income for advisory services, which again, banks are only starting to scratch the surface. Our research at BAI indicates that the younger generations, the millennials and the Gen Zers, they're open to starting out with the same bank that their parents use, but that they're also ready to jump ship at the drop of a hat to a different bank for a better experience. So how do you build relationships with millennials and Gen Z? What can banks be doing now that they're not doing? Or if they're already trying to do something, how can they do it better? One of the research stats that I point to is uh, there was a study by Cerulli Associates that said 80% of heirs expected to find a new advisor once they inherit. So I think that speaks exactly to the circumstances that you're talking to is that I think that beneficiaries are open, but they're not finding what they want. And I think that that is because it really is this millennial audience in particular truly is different and different in very significant ways. One of the key differences is that financial services and wealth management has been incredibly male dominated, male dominated in terms of the number of advisors, but also two thirds of American households have men as the key financial decision makers. But Terry, that is all changing. Millennials don't have the same kind of family structures, not in the same proportions. And women are going to exercise a tremendous amount of financial decision-making. And I think that these demographic shifts are really profound for how banks have to engage to be able to maintain and build relationships with millennials and Gen Z. Let's dig into that a little bit here. You make a point of talking about women and about the gender-related differences here, the different value sets might be a good way of putting it for the younger generation. How does it change that maybe a lot of these heirs are going to be women and what that might mean for banking opportunities? To me, this really underscores the importance of taking a customer-centric or customer experience approach. It's going to vary 
for banks in every geography. It's not going to be across the board. But what I think it's going to entail is really understanding and having a tailored strategy for specific customer personas that you're planning to serve. So for example, in some cases, it may be that your bank really hones in on the opportunity for, let's say, professional women as investors. You may have a secondary segment that is a suburban millennials with high disposable income. Having this real segment and persona focus, I think, is going to be the driver of the business. And you can't just sit around the table and just dream this stuff up. Really underlying this and something we haven't talked about yet is the importance for banks, therefore, to develop these data assets and to use data science and predictive analytics to gain the insights to not only define these personas, but to take action to drive their relationship with these personas. On the data side, banks are awash in data, as we both know, and trying to harness it, trying to tease out what's valuable and what's not valuable, what's predictive and what's causal versus what's coincidental. It's a real big lift for a lot of institutions. How do you put data to work to do this? Let's think about community and regional banks, because I think that they're in a, an even more difficult situation. While they have a lot of data, they have two problems. One is that the data is locked into uh, very constrained core processing systems that they do not have easy access to be able to do advanced analytics. And so therefore, they are reliant on their core processors to be able to add transparency to be able to get, just to even be able to get at the data. I think that's one challenge. The other is that because of the architecture and the ecosystem of banks, they have many, many providers now. It's not just the core processor. They've bolted on so many different solutions that if you were to diagram it all out, a lot of times it looks like spaghetti. <laughs> so being able to tie together the data to be able to analyze it, like these are real challenges and they're not trivial. I think the point is that the imperative is greater than ever. And now we can see how the need ties to business opportunity. So, okay, we know data is a significant issue. If we can really harness it and drive insights, we can better capitalize on opportunities like this wealth transfer. Larger full-service banks have wealth management divisions and trust departments. So is this wealth transfer trend, is this just a play for the bigger institutions or can smaller community banks and credit unions, can they play too? And if they can, where in the market asset-wise is their sweet spot? Definitely smaller institutions can seize this opportunity. And I think it's important now to introduce the fact that to address wealth management, it is often a combination of bank services or private banking, trust services, and the investment management piece. The bank and trust falls within the bank's licensed banking activities, but the investment management piece requires that's separately regulated and requires a relationship with a broker dealer. And so that's either a broker dealer that's owned by the holding company or a broker dealer that they affiliate with as an independent. Banks have a pathway to be able to play in this space and community banks have been doing this for decades. This part of it is not new. And I think that we've seen this range of banks at the $1 billion to $5 billion level be able to have very viable wealth management businesses. I think that what is new is the opportunity, though, to really scale for a small bank, to really scale those wealth management offerings 
through fintech partnering. That, I think, is the key opportunity that now fintech helps to level the playing field between the smaller players and the larger players. Community banks stress their focus on relationships. That's what they see as their key market differentiator. But how much can that level the field for them, even with fintech partnerships? How much can that level the field for them against the big players that can really compete more effectively on scale? Scale is increasingly important. And I think that customer relationship has a different meaning to customers than it does to the financial institution. From a customer perspective, from a client perspective, they really want to see kind of the advice and guidance and the solutions that banks can bring to the table. But for many banks, a relationship just means I'm selling you a bundle of products. Yes, a true relationship can be enabler can be one of the components that fits together with fintech, but just saying that you're going to focus on customer relationships is incomplete without some of these other pieces. If we're to believe the headlines, banks are working diligently to transform their branch lobbies from transaction hubs into advice centers. The wealth management side is certainly associated with advice, as you referenced in your last answer, but how do you think a revamped branch structure would help banks on that front? And is that enough to make the right kind of connection with a millennial or a Gen Zer? I think that there is an opportunity to use the branches to engage in face-to-face connections between humans. And I, and I, as a huge advocate for FinTech, I still believe that that human connection is incredibly powerful and difficult to replicate. So I think that there's a huge advantage there. But being face-to-face is not enough. And I think it is about really driving this discussion about people's financial futures and their financial health and banks really being able to sort of play that part. Now, I think in this wealth management discussion, there is one constraint, which is this separation between uh, bank products and brokerage products. So I think that the nature of that conversation has to be well defined so that for compliance reasons, you're landing on the right side. So the branch can be a place for this to take place. It requires the right level of staffing, the right types of staffing, the right kind of licenses in place. So there's many factors, but I do think that banks have an inherent asset if they can properly leverage it. Another part of this branch transformation is adding more digital capability. If you were in charge of deciding the digital capability for a new branch, what devices, what other technology would you insist that there be available to the frontline bankers, perhaps to make them more like fintechs? I think there's two things that the frontline bankers need. I think the first thing that they absolutely must have as quickly as the bank can provide it is a full 360 degree view of the client relationship. They really should understand from the bank's perspective, all of the touch points that the bank has with the customer. The customer knows it. The customer knows all of the points at which they're interacting. The bank usually does not, and certainly the frontline banker does not. I think that first and foremost is the key technology enabler that's necessary. But I think the second is the digital enablement in the branch. And I'm a big fan of actually the in-person video connection so that if the staff in the branch cannot address a certain product or financial need, that you can really speak with a, say, a video banker or a video broker right from the branch lobby to be able to address that. I think that client insights and enhancing the offering through video banking on site are two ways that banks can enhance their capabilities. 
aside from the big money centers and the, the super regionals, banks tend to think of themselves as serving a specific geography. But digital makes everywhere a, a potential target, right? Is this broader reach with wealth management something that smaller banks can and should aspire to? And, and if so, what should they be thinking about and doing if they want to pursue that course? So yes, I do think that this path of wealth management is one that helps banks get beyond their current footprint with a couple of caveats. I always believe that you should first do it well in your home footprint, in your home market, and then scale. We've learned that from Silicon Valley. That's part of the Silicon Valley playbook. Do something well, work out the kinks, then you scale it. But I think the second part of that, though, is in understanding the bank versus brokerage regulation and the need to have a broker dealer that is licensed to operate in those markets. So there's just some compliance planning to make sure that you're enabled to do that. The third thing is really to be able to expand past your footprint and to scale. That's the importance of working with a fintech partner. And I think that there's a lot that a fintech partner can bring to the table in terms of enhanced capabilities and reach. Let's finish up our chat by bringing it back around to where we started. This massive intergenerational transfer of wealth that's already happening and will accelerate in the years ahead, $68 trillion. Banks and credit unions have a lot riding on this. And being the incumbent, it's a head start, but it doesn't guarantee anything. So what's the single best piece of advice you have for a banking institution to improve the chances of keeping the money where it is and make it something that you haven't already said in this conversation? I have one very tactical piece of advice. To put this item on the agenda of your next board meeting. This is something that the board needs to address at your next meeting. How is the bank going to leverage data and data science for these insights? Who are you going to serve? How are you going to extend your capabilities with FinTech? And then how are you going to go to market? These are the questions that need to be on the agenda at your next meeting. Good questions, all of them. And with $68 trillion potentially in motion, this is something that should be able to attract some attention at the top. Stephen Ramirez from Beyond the Arc, many thanks again for making time to be with us on the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. Thank you, Terry. A few takeaways from the conversation with Stephen Ramirez from Beyond the Arc. First, we are early in a multi-trillion dollar wealth transfer from baby boomers to their millennial and Gen Z children. Banks serving the boomers want to keep as much of this wealth as possible in their respective institutions, but those inheriting may have different ideas based on their goals and values. Stephen says incumbent banks need a thought-out relationship strategy to try to keep these younger Americans. Data that banking institutions already have could help shape that cross-generational strategy. There are, however, challenges that banks face in analyzing that data and putting the findings to work. A key obstacle is data access. Much of it is stuck deep in aging core processing systems or is otherwise siloed. Stephen says banks need data insights to capitalize on opportunities like this massive wealth transfer. And finally, what might also help on the millennial and Gen Z relationship front is the branch. Part of that is the basic power of face-to-face -face interaction, but Stephen says even more important is the opportunity for bankers to drive conversations about financial health and provide financial education. To be successful, frontline bankers will need a 360-degree view of the relationship and better in-branch digital tools. Thank you for listening to the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. 
I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor of BAI. Please visit us at BAI.org for more actionable insights on themes that are important for the financial services industry.